welcoming everybody to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast at Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at BurnOrangeNation.com. Before we get started today, I'd love to remind you, if you like what we do, please leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps get the show out there. You can find us under the Burn Orange Nation podcast feed. You can share this with your friends wherever you found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, all of the major players and podcasts you can find our content. Thank you so much for tuning in to the internet's only Texas men's tennis podcast. My name is Gerald Goodrich. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And I'm joined by a man who's made his own appearances on magazine covers, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? This is a uh, all ages friendly podcast, so we'll just skip right over that one. Um, I'm doing fantastic, man. Uh, no, I, I have actually been. Um, I once was on a uh, once was on a high school student council um, brochure that went out across the entire state. So I am, you know, I am as famous as any Sam Ellinger, uh, even if I wasn't QB one. Um, no, man, it's. It's good. It's a good week. Good stuff's happening. We have topical news to break on this podcast. We're going to get into. We have uh, we have some good stuff going on. I think this is this may be two weeks in a row that we've had uh, news come out right before the podcast, rather than right after the podcast, which right. feels good. Uh, this is good news that we get to talk about this week, though. Uh, so Texas picked up a massive commitment after going what felt like an eternity without seeing. A uh, hook'em hashtag clout 2020 tweet. Texas picked up a biggin. Jaquinnon Jackson from Duncanville High School announced via Twitter that he will be taking his talents to the next level. Jaquinnon Jackson joins about four other guys in the Texas recruiting, five other guys in the Texas recruiting class. Uh, the highest ranked of the Texas players in there right now, a number 48 overall nationally, 6'2", 219, listed as an athlete, plays quarterback for uh, for Duncanville, led the Panthers to a state championship game. They lost to Cypher by less than a touchdown, more than 3,000 total yards, 38 total touchdowns as a junior. So Kyle, it was a long time coming. What does a uh, a commitment like from a guy like Jaquin and Jackson do for Texas as it starts to enter into that that summer lull for at least news, but a lot of recruits are talking and trying to make decisions about where they're going to go before they play their senior seasons in high school. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this is like a this is a really interesting time. It's it's you know, if you have kids, you know this. If you if you don't, just kind of zoom back and think where you were. This is like the week you know, kids have been either graduating last week or or happening you know this this past weekend and and week coming up. This is uh, you know for the juniors, they're watching their friends or seniors like literally graduate. This is when people you know are starting some of the summer programs, starting school, getting on campus. I mean, this is this is like an interesting transit uh, time. So I think it's almost perfect timing to to get this in and just from a pure uh talent on campus perspective this is exactly the type of player we need um you know i think quarterback is is where we he likes to play and what he likes to think of himself he's um kind of a dual threat quarterback uh who who can do it all um but he's classified as an athlete and i think the number three athlete in the country um number 33 is high in, in espn uh ranking total player in the country but um he can be a fantastic quarterback at the college level. There's no doubt about that, but he has such a um, unique kind of frame and size and speed and tenacity and in, in, in the limited kind of not limited, but the defense he does play. Uh, he's been very, very, very effective. And I played, we both played, I guess with a, with a guy who uh, in high school went to UT and, and didn't end up um, finishing his career, here, but was an all American in high school who played running back mostly. But you know, James Henry's who I'm talking about. But he projected to a defensive back at Texas, even though he played, I don't know, 40, 50, 60 plays there. They just saw what they needed to. But he's a kid who needed to carry the offensive load for his team in high school. So didn't play that that much. So there are some folks who are saying that Quinn and Jackson um, could project there at the next level, could, you know, really be less of a quarterback and more of a linebacker or safety hybrid. Um, but again, I, I think where you put him can be determined down the road. That can be determined once he gets on campus, once the depth chart in two years kind of shakes out. Uh, I think regardless, getting someone with that much talent, that much skill um, 
just that much of a game changer on the 40 acres is what needs to be happening right now. And I think we knew that Texas was going to take two quarterbacks in this class. I mean, they, they had been card was an early commit, but they were pursuing Hornsby for a while and then kind of backed off on that. Malik Hornsby ended up uh, with Mac Brown in North Carolina, which I'm now a closet North Carolina fan for those two reasons. Um, so I think we knew that Texas was going to try to carry two quarterbacks in this class. Like they didn't make it a secret. And I think that both of them being dual threats obviously shows you where the, uh, the offense is going. This is going to be a very more typical, you know, Beck Herman quarterback where Jackson, I don't want to put this kind of mantle on the kid. Cause again, He's got a lot. He's still got some growing to do, but he looks and plays a lot like Cam Newton does. Mm. Like if if you're looking for a comp, like that feels right to me. It's it's a size. I think Jaquinnon honestly fancies himself a little Cam Newton. You see the the Superman shirt opening thing he does when he scores. But you know what? The kid the kid can ball. Like a lot of times you he's he's more of your typical dual threat guy where. Um, he can execute really, really well on his own read. He's quicker than he should be at 6'2", 220, right? He's he's this bruiser of an athlete that I think wherever you put him on the field, he's going to contribute. And I think if, again, Texas has two top 70 guys, right? Because Hudson Card is, what, 64 mm-hmm. or 65, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, they're within about 20 places of each other and things could shake up as we get more rankings, right, after senior seasons, Texas having two top 75 guys in the quarterback room is not a bad thing, especially after what they brought onto campus in the 2019 class. Like keep that quarterback room stocked Mm -hmm. and let that talent push each other. Well, and I mean, we'll talk about it in a little bit here, but I mean, you've, you've seen the, the kind of change in the almost free agency landscape uh, of college football. And, and I think, um, Quarterback will be a position that you're going to always see as long as the transfer rules kind of are what they are um, or even get more lax is going to be a position that's quick to go. So I think just getting a quarterback, two quarterbacks in every class is going to be the new norm. You're going to have to keep that talent pipeline kind of kind of stocked um, because you may not get a kid who's going to wait around for three years to, you know, to get his to get his chance. Um, And you've seen some really incredible quarterbacks. Sam Ellinger being one of them, come in and do it right away. You know, Trevor Lawrence, you know, there's guys who feel like they've seen other people do it as a freshman and feel like because that's a position you have to have some swagger and some confidence to play that they, um, you know, should. And this is a guy, I mean, remember, this is a guy who held offers from uh, and was serious contention, OU, LSU, A&M, Bama. I mean, if you were anyone, you offered uh, Jaquin and Jackson. And, and, you know, he said, nope, Texas is where I want to go. Um, you know, I think – Cam Newton is a good comparison. I think Sam Ellinger is not a crazy comparison either. Um, So if he's looking out at the college football landscape and looking at the really successful guys at his position who are out there right now, Sam Ellinger might be someone who, um, you know, he sees, oh, I could do that, or maybe I could do something like that, but this is a little bit different. Um, But, you know, I think that's, that's a great thing that that makes these types of quarterbacks, these dual threats um, kind of see what they can do. And I, I think ultimately the, the, I don't think this is the thing I'm most excited about, but a, a sub uh, benefit of this is finally, you know, cracking a little bit of that uh, that Metroplex up there, getting inside the getting inside the Dallas Fort Worth uh, bubble. Yeah, and and I think there are two things there. One, Texas is finally setting itself up to not have to start a freshman quarterback unless right. it's a Trevor Lawrence or to to a Yep, I tripped over that name. Tua, whatever you, Tua. That's just all it is, right? Uh, it's an it's the University of Alabama, right? Like that's what Tua stands for, right? That's a it's an acronym. <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> anywho, so that's good. <laughs> but I think Texas is finally setting itself up to not have to start a freshman quarterback, right? Because Jackson gets Jackson and Card get on campus Ellinger's senior year, right? Theoretically, both those guys redshirt. Casey Thompson gets two years of playing. You've got a senior, hopefully, in Roshan Johnson. And then one of these two guys can step in as a redshirt junior and take over the mantle. So Texas is really positioning itself to be able to have at least four guys in the quarterback room that are spaced out to where, again, the only reason you start a young guy is if he is a number one player, could go pro within a year or two of being in high school. And I think to the the Metroplex thing, you saw at the end of Jackson's commitment video, it seems like Texas is is 
prioritizing the DFW area. He talked about the Dallas two, two numeral two Austin hashtag, uh, and he got on the phone with somebody we don't know who it is. Uh, crystal balls started coming in fast and furious uh, for his teammate uh, Chris Thompson, uh, who's a who's a top sixty safety in the country. So um, there there's a lot to be said for. Uh, Texas trying to finally kind of crack that dome that's seemingly been over the, the Metroplex. Yeah, I mean, last year I think they took Rafidi Grimai and, and Byron Vaughn's um, or in 2018. So, I mean, it's uh, – it's you want to make sure that you're not, you know, conceding because Herman has such a familiarity with Houston, obviously, and not just U of H. I mean, people forget he was at Rice uh, as well with Coach Bailiff uh, over there on that staff. So he just has a really familiarity here. Um, he's looked at, you know, we've talked about this on the pod a couple times where there is, um, you know, a, a player who is just substantial or a need that maybe isn't filled in state. He's looked out of state. Uh, the Arizona pipeline's looking healthy uh, healthy and strong. And in fact, I'll, I'll pause for a moment there to uh, – to just report as well. And I hate reporting on social media, but uh, hopeful, hopeful uh, on this podcast, at least for me, Keely Ringo, um, it, it commented on, on the Instagram post uh, of, uh, of, of one of our uh, potential, I guess is the way to say it, our, our uh, prospects, um, Lathan Ransom and said me, Bijan and Lathan arrow to ATX sly grin, uh, hook em emoji. So that Arizona connection sounding sounding real strong. I like that. Uh, keep them coming. But yeah, I mean, it's uh, you know, it's 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 something that Herman has really got. He has a strategy, but he's made very clear. He's never pulled any punches, minced any words that he wants to be the premier school that takes the premier talent from Dallas Fort Worth as the state's flagship institution with one of its two biggest you know football cities and markets. We can't just let one go and just get a couple of those guys. We need to have uh, first pick. And so I think it's it's great when you get maybe the best player out of DFW this year or one of the shortlist of best players in Jaquin and Jackson. That sends a really good message there. Yeah, and I think we, we can't leave this conversation without talking about the, the Zach Evans situation. Uh, we don't normally comment on players not committing to Texas, but when the number one player in the country happens to be from Houston, a place where Tom Herman seems to... Uh, excel and Texas doesn't even make the top five that seems to uh, that seems to be a, a um, not a warning sign because Texas is going to be fine but what does Texas need to do what does Stan Drayton need to do to to get a top tier running back commitment because that was kind of the conversation when you hire Stan Drayton is he's the guy that recruits the top guys and now again three years running Texas has missed on the top guys as targeted yeah and it there's a point. I mean, you look at some things outside of your control, right? Like everything that we talked about with Darian Brown last season, if he gets on campus, we're talking about a guy who can contribute year one, a guy who, you know, if, if uh, maybe Jordan Whittington doesn't get as many running back reps and plays more in the slot, if you have Darian Brown, or maybe he does and maybe Brown and, and, you know, he kind of have a hybrid role where they split some carries or one red shirts or whatever, but obviously he isn't playing this year. That's out of his control. But there were players kind of ranked above him, at least in Texas uh, fans' minds, that he didn't get. And then this year, you know, you look, there's still some talent out there. And, and I think B. John Robinson, a guy I just um, referenced, you know, who, who we're in the hunt for, who's a five-star kid, um, you know, certainly could be every bit as good um, as, as the star out of North Shore. But, I mean... It, it's interesting if there's a kid in Texas who's the number one overall recruit there, you know, there was a guy named Vincent Young Jr. who was that once and there was no doubt he was coming to UT. You know, usually if there's a player that good in the state of Texas and, and you know, you had one who didn't in, in uh, Adrian Peterson at the same running back position, he made a silly, silly life choice and then got to watch again, said Vincent Young Jr., uh, win a national championship. So, you know, it it used to kind of not be a foregone conclusion, but it used to be pretty solid that at least we're in the shortlist. I think the fact that Texas didn't make the top five is what has has people kind of um, sent sent a bit of a chill. Uh, I don't think we need to overreact. I think... um, I think the kid has kind of a, a view, you know, he has a view of where he sees himself and where he wants to be. And, and, you know, I think he, 
is a is a guy who he's one of the players, and I, I I've said this jokingly before, but he could uh, he could redshirt his freshman year and would still say, "Hey, I'm just here for two years, then go into the show." You know, it's uh, he, he's a guy who really is focused on just getting to the next next level. The, the college is just a pedestal for him to the NFL, and I think he's just thinking about you know who's putting running backs in the NFL right now, and that's fine. And like I said, when when Keon Dangram you know makes that step, uh, there will be another guy for people to look at when maybe Jordan Whittington makes that step there will be another guy to look at so um there is a point where you know after Foreman we have to find our next uh, and Malcolm Brown we have to find our next batch of guys who are who are going to go on to that next level and have really good careers to to sell that type of recruit but if that's the only thing a recruit's looking at you know you have to think about it is that the player you want yes yes it is Kyle (laughs) I'm gonna be really honest with you so that's that's all we can say about that. Uh, so Texas, hopefully, will see some more recruits, uh, some more commitments. Carrington did do the shush, it's not finished, shush uh, tweet. So within the next several days, Kyle and I will continue to try to decode cryptic emojis from uh, 17-year-olds on Twitter. So with all the recruiting talk, we have to talk about Brew McCoy. Uh, so last week we discussed... The rumors that he was entering the transfer portal, now it's official that he is in the portal and heading back to USC. So to discuss it, we have somebody that, I mean, we talk a lot about how Kyle and I really aren't qualified to be doing what we're doing. So we wanted to bring somebody on that actually uh, was, and so we we reached out to uh, Dina Kalunga, who is uh, writes for both USC and the University of Texas, and she is uh, was gracious enough to carve some time out to talk to us today. Dina, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you guys? All things yeah. considered, we're doing all right. <laughs> we're, we're still licking our wounds a little bit, but but we'll survive. We got we got tagged with so many old takes exposed tweets this week yeah. that yeah, it almost lost its uh almost lost its a, a novelty at some point. Yeah, it's been wild for sure. I mean, Sunday night I actually found out from our horns or uh. Horn Sports group text. I think Daniel Seahorn sent the text that a uh, screenshot of uh, Inside Troy's post on their forum about Brew. So that was the first time that I hadn't heard any like rumors about about him maybe transferring back to USC um, up until Sunday night when everyone was kind of like everything was dropping. Um, I do remember seeing Scott Schrader of Trojan Insider for like a week had been posting like, oh, something big's about to happen. Something big's about to happen. And so me and my staff were at Conquest Chronicles, the USC site for SB Nation that I write for. Um, we're all kind of wondering, like, oh, I wonder I wonder what this is going to be. Is it going to be, you know, is Chris Steele not going to Oregon? Um, and then he's coming back to USC instead because Chris Steele, I don't know if you're familiar with him. I'm sure you are. Uh, transferred from Florida is now going to go to Oregon mm. um, when he was he had committed to USC previously. But yeah, so we were all wondering what Scott's big news was, and and then Sunday night I was like, well, this must be it. <laughs> this is pretty big. <laughs> I'd say so. Yeah, and it, and it seemingly came out of nowhere, at least from from the Texas side of things. So, had you uh, kind of other than, before that narrative, had you heard anything, any rumblings about that, like a, a potential move? Like, was that something that was in the realm of possibility? No, nothing at all. Like it it came out of left field for sure for me too. Um, like I said, Sunday night was the first I had ever heard of him thinking of transferring from Texas. So Hmm. yeah, it was, it was wild. (laughs) So, I mean, obviously recruiting is a, is a fun and entertaining business, but many people take it very personally. And, uh, we know there were some, some USC fans who probably, you know, didn't say the nicest things or, or had some thoughts about brew when he went the first time. Um, how do you feel like the fan base has reacted to the homecoming, I guess, the, you know, five months later? <laughs> I mean, obviously they're happy. They're, you know, singing brew praises. Um, you know, like you said, recruiting is, is interesting. It's, you know, one one day you can be loving a kid and mm. tweeting at him, you know, all these positive things. And then he doesn't pick your school. And the next, you know, the next tweet's like, oh, well, you know, something negative. So <clears throat> as far as I've seen, USC fans are over the moon about this um you know as well as the players the players families like i follow a couple of like the dads and the moms on twitter and they're all as they should be just welcoming him back mm-hmm. because i mean he's just a kid um it's not like he 
did USC dirty. It's like, you know, he was like an 18 year old kid trying to make a decision. And then who can blame him? Like no one, no one blames him from the yeah. USC side, at least that I've seen because that whole Cliff Kingsbury thing was so wild, wild. <laughs> and, you know, if I was in his shoes, I wouldn't be certain that that's where I wanted to be, especially being an offensive guy. And USC took so long to to bring in Harold, so it was very uncertain on on the USC side of where where the offense was going to go. Um, so I mean, no one blames Brew for leaving, at least that I've seen on my Twitter feed. But <laughs> um, but yeah, everyone's been everyone's been excited. I mean, it's it's a you know five star addition to our our wide receiver corps which is already loaded <laughs> and so i think that's that's the follow-up question i think um you know it looked like mccoy was gonna slide in at, at a slot role at texas uh and texas fans are very familiar with what amon ross st brown can do at the slot position uh so he kind of has that locked up pretty well uh mccoy will likely have to yeah. sit out a year i i don't know how this is all going to work uh but likely he's gonna have to sit out a year uh which would make him a redshirt freshman and and brown's redshirt junior or junior year uh so where does he fit into the the wide receiver room and kind of the scheme uh at usc yeah like like you said it's more than likely that he's gonna have to sit out his this year but then when he finally does get the okay to play we're gonna have Amon Ross St. Brown coming back. We'll have Kyle Ford, uh, the wide receiver out of Orange Lutheran, who's going to be a true freshman this season. Um, Velas Jones actually announced today that he's not going to be transferring from USC. He's going to be uh, returning. So, And then we have um, Michael Pittman and Tyler Vons will be graduated by the by the time that Brew gets to, mm-hmm. gets to play if he does sit out this season. So, I mean, he's going to be our... our one of our top guys so it'll be interesting what they you know how much they throw to him yeah i mean it, it sounds like the transfer portal there has been good to usc uh, this year and it, it seems like it's an interesting an interesting cycle and just from from that perspective i mean it's 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 weird we were saying when it was kind of a, a broomer um you heard that correctly um and nothing was concrete uh that uh you know what will this legacy be right that it took the whole thing took maybe five months and a kid is transferred twice. And again, extenuating services and everything like that. Um, but do you think this will just be a footnote, kind of a blip in the, in the radar? Or, I mean, can you imagine, like we try to imagine, is there any greater implications of someone, you know, accepting an offer, going to a school and it, transferring doing a semester Master transferring, transferring back, back or anything else. else. I mean, is this the is thing, this the thing is that is he the Ed O'Bannon, as we said, or the, you're a soccer, you're a soccer fan, fan, the Bosman who breaks, breaks the whole, the whole, you know, system, system or like, system, or like what, I mean, what, what do you think what, the legacy of this could be? Could be. How can it not? It's just such a momentous thing. He's like the first kid to do it in such a short span of time. As for brew though, I was telling, I was telling my, my editor, Matt Lowry at conquest chronicles, cause we were talking about it last week on our podcast and, you know how it's such a national story right now he's like this kid that's getting everything thrown at him from positive tweets to negative tweets to to everything in between so as for brew i told him i wouldn't worry about it i mean with college football it's you know a story's big for a few weeks and then it mm-hmm. dies down so uh, you know if i was brew i wouldn't worry too much about you know having having negative press for the season i mean people are going to forget it's like he's going to start – the season will start and they'll forget. Um, but as for, like, future transfers and what this means for recruiting, I think it's definitely going to have an impact. I mean, you know, the amount of transfer stories this season alone is mm-hmm. was pretty big with Tate Martell and Justin Fields and especially how they were cleared to play for this for this uh, upcoming season. So, yeah, I think it's going to have a an impact, whether a positive one or a negative one. We'll see. I think the worst thing to come – out of this whole thing is going to be the awful um, color commentary guys trying to make a a whole new story about this every week. I'm, I'm already tired of hearing them talk about the wacky saga that Brew McCoy ended up at USC. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, (laughs) I can hardly stand the commentary guys on a regular college football Saturday. So it'll be, it'll be for sure heightened uh, this season. You know, he's he's probably not going to be playing, but they're going to be talking about him. 
Uh, well, Dina, thank you so much for uh, for taking some time out to 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 hang out and talk some some Brew McCoy weirdness. So um, when you're not talking to guys who barely are qualified to to do a podcast, where can the good folks find you on the internet? <laughs> uh, my handles always compete. Yeah, I'm very active on Twitter, trying to get to a thousand followers. Shameless, shameless plug. So yes. And then I write for Conquest Chronicles on SB Nation, and I write about Texas for Horn Sports. Awesome. Well, I know Kyle and I are both proud members of, of the Gideon to a thousand club. <laughs> so, uh, we, we are supporting as best as we can. Thank you so much, uh, for taking some time out today to, to talk to us. Yeah, it was my pleasure guys. Thanks for the opportunity. We are 88 days away from kickoff. So that means we are in week two of our season previews. So as the schedule goes, it's the big, nighttime matchup presumably college game day so we've got billy gamilla of in the valley shook to help us preview the louisiana state tigers billy how are you doing tonight doing good doing good looking forward to talking with y'all we appreciate it thank you so much for taking some time out so we usually start these things off with a quarterback but with lsu it seems like at least most of the games last year, the defense is really the start of the show. Uh, they held nine of their 13 opponents to three scores or fewer, even with a 70-point overtime game against Texas A&M, who will probably come up multiple times because Kyle and I are vicious trolls. Uh, they had 26, <laughs> uh, the number 26 scoring defense in the country. They return eight starters but have to replace uh, two guys that are playing on Sunday, at least two, uh, Devin White and Greedy Williams. So uh, as – the clock switches over to the 2019 season. What do you feel like is a fair expectation uh, for Dave Aranda's group back there? Oh, I, I, we fully expect them to be be one of the better uh, units in the country again. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, they they lucked out, kind of. I mean, they they lost two guys to the draft early, but it was two guys that I mean, at least going in, were expected to be pretty high picks. You know, Greedy Williams ended up tumbling a little bit, but was expected to be a, a much higher draft pick than he was. So it made sense to, to keep to lose them. But uh, the big thing was we they held on to guys who last couple of years LSU's lost kind of the, those, you know, those third, third year guys, maybe second year starters with a year or two left who were kind of right on the cusp of breaking out. LSU had a run of, of losing those guys kind of before they really had their chance to make a big impact on the college level. And they got those guys back, particularly up on the defensive line. Uh, seniors, Rashard Lawrence and Braden Fajoko are back. Uh, junior to be Glenn Logan. He, he's going to be expected to, to, to have to be a, a bigger contrib- contributor after having five sacks last year. And, and they also held on to Michael Divinity, who I, I do expect to be one of kind of the, the big leaders of that, that defense. He, he kind of broke out last year at outside linebacker, had 50 tackles and I think five sacks. Kind of was a bit of a surprise. He was a big recruit, but he kind of felt out of place in, in Aranda's defense. He was more of a 4-3 type of linebacker, but he kind of found his role last year, and now it looks like he's moving inside. He's going to play alongside Jacob Phillips, and, and it's expected that they'll be a, a, another solid force in the middle. And then, of course, you've got Grant Delpit, and Grant Delpit's – the best safety in the country and, and last year had one of the best years I've ever seen from an individual basis in terms of, you know, making a lot of plays up at the line of scrimmage and rushing the passer, but also picking off five passes. And then you got Christian Fulton back at cornerback. There was some concern he might leave. He, he had to sit out a year for an NCAA suspension and it was thought that he might uh, head out early after really only starting for one year, but he's back. And then you're replacing Greedy Williams with, what 247 sports calls the best cornerback they've ever scouted. So as a true yeah. freshman and Derek Stingley, so we'll, we'll, we'll see, yeah. but it, it's expected that, that this will be another great unit. Yeah. And I mean, the, the, the defense, not only was it, not only was it deep, uh, not only was, you know, you, you mentioned just a, a, a litany of, of future NFL players in there, um, but they were, they were timely and they seemed to kind of uh, get to the right place at the right time. 
Um, the I think one of the strengths last year from from tape that I've watched is the, obviously the 25 turnovers uh, that you forced last year. I think number 16 in the country uh, and your most since 2012. So um, you bring back the the interceptions leader, like you said, um, but you, you change your scheme, no matter how good a freshman is coming in, when you lose a guy like Greedy Williams, when you have a side of the field that just is uh, as much of an island as you can get, do you see anything changing in the scheme? Do you see, um, you know, just plug and play? Uh, Is there anything uh, from the actual way the defense lines up under Aranda that we expect should be a little bit different? Possibly. He's kind of evolved a little bit over the years. His first, his first year, you know, they had Arden key and they kind of, he's kind of evolved his, his, some of his different sub packages, you know, LSU very rarely, I mean, in general, in college football, very few teams get to play their, you know, their typical base front, whether you're a three, four or four, three, you know, everybody spreads the field. So it's really, you don't, you're, you're in nickel, you're in dime a lot. And early on, Aranda liked using what he called his peso look, which was kind of a, looked more like a classic four, four, two, five nickel, but it was with the, the outside linebackers as defensive ends, two defensive linemen, and then the linebackers and the DBs. Uh, you know, it looked like a four-man front, but it was really just two actual defensive linemen. Uh, last year, what you saw him do was more of a, of a three, three, five look with three linemen, mm-hmm. three linebackers, and uh, they, they would roll Grant Delpit up almost into – as more of the classic nickelback spot. And then they would play uh, nickel corner, carry Vincent almost in more of a safety spot. And that allowed them to kind of have some flexibility with the two of them where one guy could cover and, and one guy could, you know, come up and blitz some. And, and they had a lot of success with that. They also used uh, another former five-star recruit, Jacoby Stevens, who's kind of, kind of big for a safety, more like a linebacker build, mm-hmm. but not quite mm-hmm. as big as some of LSU's other linebackers. Uh, they like to bring him in, in in some passing situations, and down the stretch, he he had some really big games against Texas A&M, and then in the uh, the bowl game against UCF. So we we expect to see more of an increased role for him. They'll probably use the safeties. They, they even losing one of the starting safeties in in John Battle. They're still going to return a lot of vets there, so I think they'll be able to help. Stingley with some over-the-top stuff. Uh, in terms of new alignments, another guy they're looking forward to having back is Caleb Von Chason, who really looked poised to kind of break out last year as a, as a full-time starter and in that outside linebacker rush-end position, but then blew his knee out at the end of the Miami game and and never really – and, you know, was lost for the year. So having him back and the, the prospect of being able to move him around a little bit will probably give Aranda a little more toys to play with. The defense is not really, it seems like a question for you guys. And so I guess we will switch sides of the ball and talk about the quarterback because I think we have to have to have a conversation about Joe Burrow. So he's he's coming back. He was up and down, I think it's fair to say. Would you agree? Up and down feels like last oh, year. Oh, yeah. No, <laughs> yeah, but he closed out pretty strong. 971 yards and nine touchdowns over his last three games. Uh LSU returns all of its top receivers from a year ago and gets Joe Brady from the New Orleans Saints uh, taking over to help coordinate the passing game. So what are the expectations for Burrow and how much of the offense is he going to have to carry uh, in 2019? Well, the hope is not as much. Um, You know, part of the problem last year was Burrow was a first-time starter. He had just arrived at campus. Uh, I think he, he arrived in June, but you know, of course, he's not like he's practicing with the team full time. He didn't have he didn't have a uh, spring and all of that to go through with him. So he was still kind of fresh. And then a lot of the, the receivers that were on hand were younger guys too. So they weren't they weren't as polished as you would like. And uh, that was definitely a factor early on. What what jumped out really quickly about him is he's a smart kid and he makes good decisions because you, you had a lot of games where you'd come away thinking, especially like the Miami game, if you watch, it, just watching it, you're thinking he's doing a good job. He's managing things. He's, he's checking plays. He's, you know, he's not doing anything stupid. And he finishes sub 50 in completion percentage. And you're like, yeah. huh. Yeah. And some of it's like, well, he's, you know, he's throwing balls away. He, he's, you know, he's eating it when he has to just eat it and not, not putting it up, up for grabs and things like that. But what you saw is over the course of the year that got, that started to kind of even itself out and he started completing more passes. And certainly the hope is the guy we saw at the end of the year is, is kind of where he, he, he starts off this year. 
I don't think he's got, you know, all conference or, you know, that, that kind of potential, you know, to, to be one of the best quarterbacks in the country or anything like that. But I think he can be a good, strong leader. And, and if the rest of the offense can kind of rise to meet him, if the receivers can be a little more consistent, if the offensive line can help him out a little bit more, if the running game can come back last year, LSU, they only had a uh, hundred yard rushers, I think in five games and, they never really had kind of that running game that they could just, okay, pass the game ain't there, but we can just wear you out at the line of scrimmage. They couldn't do that against almost anybody all year, really. And the expectation is that with the offensive line coming back and, and some of the new guys coming in at running back who are a little more talented than, uh, than Nick Brissett outgoing, I, I think that, that the expectation is that they'll, they'll get better at that, uh, that side of the ball and that'll help. And, Kind of, it's like a rising tide situation, you know. Like Burrow will help pick some things up, but overall, it's kind of everybody together. Yeah, and I mean, you, you mentioned the offensive line. I think you, you have four starters coming back. Are you, uh, if you had to pick, um, you know, an area that you're more confident that you will see a step uh, forward, or you know, just see a strong presence from? Is it that offensive line, or is it you know who you have in that running back stable with Clyde Edwards, uh, Hilaire, and and um, you know, coming in and kind of probably taking over from from where Brissett was last year. Which one do you see the the biggest leap forward for this season from the tape from last year? Well, the biggest leap forward in terms of talent, I think, is going to be in the backfield because you have a uh, five star running back John Emery coming in, and then a uh, high four star. He was he probably if he'd played the game a little bit more, he probably could have been a five star himself. Uh, Tyrion Davis Price coming in and. That's two guys. You know, Emery's more of a speed kind of multi-purpose guy, kind of the the better version of Edwards Hilaire. You know, not as mm. small, a little bigger, a little faster. And then Davis Price is more that that classic LSU, you know, two hundred thirty pound bruiser. And I think both those, it wouldn't surprise me if by midseason both those guys are the top two backs on the team. Okay. You know, the offensive line, the big key for them is just going to be staying healthy. In the first, I think, seven games last year, they used six different lineups because of injuries, and that's just a tough way to fly for a group that that yeah. really thrives on that cohesion. Especially, you know, LSU kind of wants to be that that Alex Gibbs, you know, NFL, you know, thinking back to like the '90s Broncos, wide and tight zone kind of running team, mm-hmm. and you mm-hmm. really got to have some continuity there, and they never really had that. So we're, we're hoping that with some more guys back – and they, they return four starters, but they return a couple other guys that have starting experience too that have been you know, kind of in and out of the lineup for injuries or one reason or another. So the, the, the hope is that overall with that many guys back, they can find five or six guys that they can rely on. So if we had to put a, a pretty fine point on it then to, to kind of put a thumb on top of you or something, whatever metaphor that I can decide on at a later date um, – <laughs> What is your like one key area or key success indicator for LSU in 2019? Is it the running game? Is it the offensive line? Is it, you know, Joe Burrow kind of playing within himself and, and running as much of the offense as he has to like, what's, what's your key success factor? I would say it's, it really is that offensive line. Uh, I, I forget the exact number, but I think it was the most tackles for loss LSU had given up in a couple of years. And it was the lowest yards per carry they've had in, since I think 2012, which was another year where I think LSU lost four starters at different points in, in that year on that offensive line. So if they can get those two numbers up, I think the rest will kind of take care of itself. Like I think Burrow, I think we saw him get better over the course of the year. So I expect that to at least stay static enough where if he just plays as well as he did at the end of the year for an entire year, that's, that's pretty good. That's not great, but it's pretty good. And if the receiving core can just make the development that you would expect guys to make from their first year starting to their second year starting, I think that alone will be a, 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 maybe not a, a top 10 or 15 offense, but a top 30-ish, top 20-ish offense. Yeah, and, and, and you know, Texas had some years like that where it seemed like we, you know, we at one point had three returning starts because we had, you know, to press pr- freshmen in or could never get, you know, five consistent guys out there. And that really that really takes a toll. Um, so we, we certainly are familiar with that. But is there anything, you know, I, I was surprised to hear some of the freshmen that will get immediate playing time. Is there anything that hasn't been talked about, whether it's, you know, in our interview here today or just something that everyone in Baton Rouge knows on the message boards knows around, you know, your uh, website are talking about, but you're not hearing other folks talk about that you, you know, just want to take this chance to clear up or, or, or get out there? 
Uh, I think most people kind of are overlooking that offensive line fact. You know, a lot mm. of people have just said, well, they weren't any good. And it's like, well, right. it's more that they were never healthy. You know, some guys played through injuries, and you just had a lot of guys missing time kind of in and out. The one guy who was kind of the most consistent was Lloyd Cushenberry, the center, who looked like he was kind of the question mark coming into the year, but then was really, really good for just about all the season, except for Alabama, where Quentin Williams pretty much abused him for four quarters. But, you know, Quentin Williams did that to a lot of players last year. So I think he's got a lot of potential. And I think if he can kind of be that rallying point and they can find that interior next to him and just – Keep keep a, a consistent lineup. The other thing I think that we didn't that hasn't really gotten a lot of play, and I don't think even L, a lot of LSU fans have thought about, is replacing Cole Tracy at kicker, because he ah. was such a security blanket in inside the red zone. Basically, LSU knew once they got inside the thirty that they were getting points, and I think at times that you saw them kind of take some kind of conservative play calls inside the 10 because they didn't want to risk anything that would screw up getting the field goal because they knew they had the field goal in their back pocket. So, you know, we're not going to risk throwing an interception or, or taking a sack that might take us out of range. Oh, sorry. I was going to say, and that's not something that's overlooked here. I don't know if you realize, but you are on one of the internet's foremost kicking and punting podcasts. We, uh, as fans of Michael Dixon, who's now, you know, in the Seahawks and Justin Tucker, the NFL's most accurate kicker. Sometimes that's what Texas fans have been hanging their hat on the past couple of years. So you're right in the listener's wheelhouse, so you're spot on. <laughs> and the guy that's more than likely taking that job, just based on on some comments from the coaches, is going to be a true freshman in Cade York, mm-hmm. who he was a number two or number three kicking prospect last year, which is great, but he, it's still a freshman, so you don't know sure. what he's going to be able to do. And, and, you know, Tracy, he made the game winner against Auburn last year. He made some big kicks mm-hmm. in a lot of games where the offense couldn't quite punch it in, but they knew, okay, but we're inside the 20, we're getting points. It's just a question of can we get touchdowns. Now, the one thing that I think has gotten overlooked a lot about last year's offense, especially from LSU fans, because LSU, you know, a decade of this has really beaten down LSU fans when it comes to offense. So as far as they're concerned, if the offense isn't scoring 40 points a game, it's terrible. Mm. But LSU was one of the better teams in the country. I think they finished in the middle of the pack nationally in red zone appearances. So I I kept telling people, I was like, look, if they could just start converting some, you know, if they can convert – 10% 10% more of these possessions in the touchdowns, that's going to be really good. Mm. Being consistent enough to drive the field and get in the red zone is a good thing. Cause if you do that enough times, you're going to score touchdowns. We just have to see if they can, if they can kind of polish out those rough edges. And then again, when you don't, can they count on a kicker the way that they, they were able to count on Cole Tracy and, and Texas fans know the ups and downs of a freshman kicker. Dicker, the kicker made his name for the OU kick, but there were a couple of times where that, that pushed left or, or right, depending on uh, the situation. So that, that is, I'm glad you brought up the kicker. It's very on brand for us. <laughs> uh, so we, we sent you some questions beforehand, but, we like to do a little rapid fire kind of spring stuff on you because, again, we established we're, we're kind of trolly. So one of the things we're doing this year is having our guests uh, say one nice thing about a rival or their main rival. So Kyle and I, uh, being average at best at this, uh, couldn't decide who LSU's main rival would be. So because it's a low-hanging fruit, we wanted to pick Texas A&M. So if you had to say one nice thing about Texas A&M University, what would you say? That they miss y'all like crazy. <laughs> That's the most. <laughs> it, it is our mission in life with, or not in life, but with this season coming up, we're going to parent trap the two of y'all back together. I, I, I got news for y'all. We're, we're going to make this happen. We're going to find a way to lock y'all in a basement somewhere and y'all are going to work this out and y'all are, y'all are going to have some, some great, great make, makeup sex, maybe in a bowl game. <laughs> See, but, but here's the thing. You, that's a fantastic answer, but you now understand, right? You have other rivals. Like you want to play Alabama. You, you, you get up for that game. You know, you have another team that's nationally relevant that wears a crimson shade. We have that with, uh, with OU up, up North, you know, and then there's this little, little brother who just comes around kind of kicking at your knees and you're like, get, get out of here. You know, we've, we've beat you seven times in a row. And then they do something stupid. Like, uh, what happened with your game last year? So now I, I'm glad that, that uh, they had some help, <laughs> you know, no arguments here. I don't think. <laughs> no, none whatsoever. 
that you know that actually leads me into uh, and we can talk about that game if you'd like but it leads me into my my other question i wanted to ask i i feel like we are kindred in a way um kind of being the flagship institution of a state for for two states that are next to each other and sure we're we're rivals on the recruiting trail we go after some of the same uh recruits but for the most part you know i think we're less rivals and more like we respect each other. We've only played, you know, in 03 and then before that in 1963. So we don't play enough to really feel like true rivals, but what's the vibe in Baton Rouge for these games? Cause in Austin, I think it's, it's excitement. We're excited for y'all to come to town and a lot of people are excited to make the trip there. So what's the, what's the vibe in Baton Rouge? Oh, I think a lot of people are really excited. It, it, the, uh, the, the ticket policy is kind of thrown, thrown a little cold water over it. And, you know, a lot of people feeling like they're not gonna be able to get tickets. Yeah. Um, yeah, the SEC policy towards away tickets is a, a lot more robust than the Big 12. I think with, you're required to give, I think it's like 10% of the yeah. stadium allotment or something yeah. like that. It might not be 10%, but but somewhere in that range, whereas I think it's 3,500 is all she's getting. Um, you're, you're probably still going to have a good crowd and a lot of – I mean, I wish I could make the trip. I am not going to be able to, unfortunately, but uh, – mm. I think you're going to see a good crowd. I think a lot of folks are, are looking forward to making that trip because, again, it's a chance. It's a, a, a like you said, we haven't played a lot, despite the proximity. There's a lot of history. Uh, it, it's two proud programs and, and two two great towns to go see a football game in. So I think mm-hmm. a, a lot of people are just looking forward to making a fun trip. And if I do have to say so myself, two of the best states for tailgate food, the the Louisiana tailgate food and the Texas tailgate food seems like something that needs to happen more often. Oh, yeah, I think it would. I would. It, and one good thing that I think is that we're going to see evolve in the A&M rivalry is now that it's not on Thanksgiving, there'll be a little bit more back and forth of that. Because when it was like I kept saying, like, as long as that game's on Thanksgiving, I'm never making the trip to College Station. Cause right. I'm, I'm, I'm not skipping Thanksgiving to go to a football game as much as I would. Lo- I mean, I, I would love to, but my wife might have might have other ideas about that. You know, now that it's back to being on Saturday, I think you'll see a little more typical. And I, I do know that 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 after what happened last year, that it, it, it's going to be ratcheted up a bit. The, oh yeah, this year for sure. You know, I think I, I mean it. There's been uh, and. People forget LSU and Texas A&M played for a long time. They had, mm-hmm. uh, I think, a ten or fifteen year series from the eighties through the the mid nineties that that was can- it was canceled in the mid nineties, and and there was some bad blood over that over the cancellation. So I think that that there was always some it was always kind of there right under the surface, and then just the way last year went with that marathon game, and mm. you know all the the referee BS, and and then. You, you get the, the 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 whole dust up after the game where Damian Craig goes and goes and starts to fight. That that I think, and of course there's the, the, the Jimbo Fisher angle right, and right and, and all of that. So it, it it it'll be a different level this year, I think. Now we'll see what what, what the the records are the two teams go, coming into it. I think LSU has a little more favorable schedule than A and M right now, but but we'll see. You know, I'll just volunteer right here, um, put it out here to the the world first. We will, um, as as liaisons of Burn Origination, we will volunteer to moderate a debate and or boxing match between Ann the Valley Shook and my buddies over at Good Bull Hunting. I think um, I, we're, this is there's there's some brain talent here, so I'm going to lean towards the uh, the political style debate. Um, but you know, as an impartial moderator, I I would be happy to, and I'm not very impartial. I'd obviously root for you. Um, I'm happy to uh, happy to moderate that. Uh, and those are great guys. I've known I've known some <laughs> of the guys on that side for a long time, so they're all good folks. Love it. So um, I think the other rivalry between. University of Texas and, and LSU is is for a little hashtag and a little moniker. Um, we are at least we can agree that LSU and Texas are at least the flagship schools of the defensive back university school system. And I think the, the <laughs> oh, argument. Yeah, yeah, y'all, y'all don't want to have this one with me because I, I, I don't I don't uh, I don't. I don't. That's LSU. Sorry, I, I don't. <laughs> I don't cater the debate for whenever anybody else brings this up. I'm like, oh, y'all are cute. <laughs> y'all, well, y'all, y'all have some fun with that there, there is no doubt and we've both landed pretty incredible defensive back classes the past couple of years so it's not going anywhere i think we can agree florida just needs to shut their mouth like they may have had a three-year little spot oh nice that's like you said that's cute you got a couple guys in the league but i mean texas does lead the uh lead any school in the last 15 years in nfl starts by about 60 but i mean again we're, we don't have to have that 
debate here on this on this podcast today. We we each agree we're, we're this is two of the baddest defensive back uh, programs in the country. <laughs> I think last time Florida brought it up, we we were we had a, a, a someone that happened to catch a picture of of Leonard Fournette staring over standing over a, 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 a completely flat on his back Florida defensive back. So I like that. Uh, <laughs> And, and right. the, the, the beautiful thing about LSU is our only real rival is sobriety. And, and it, when it comes to the SEC, we kind of really don't like anybody and they don't really like us. So it kind of all works out. And I think that's why I respect you so much. So I'm going to I want to shift gears a little bit because we talked right before this and you mentioned, you know, at least uh, hobbying. And I think this is most respectable men in Louisiana. But you, you have a couple of recipes, you, you know, you know, good food you can you can cook and you can eat. Um, I don't know if you knew this, but I'm getting married in New Orleans in about three weeks. And uh, and I love New Orleans. It's my favorite city. I love driving from Houston to New Orleans along Interstate 10. So whether it's in Baton Rouge, whether it's on I-10, uh, some good road food on the way in or all the way in New Orleans, any recommendations uh, for, for the folks or, or for me to uh, to check out in any of those categories? Oh, absolutely. Well, when you're going through Lafayette, um, Best Stop is the place mm-hmm. you want to look for. I believe it's on 190. Uh, that's, that's, your, that's your good smoked meat, boudin, cracklins, pork products kind okay. of place. In Baton Rouge, you know, there's a lot of good options. It just depends kind of on, on, on what you're into. If it's seafood, I'm a big fan of Parans. There's also uh, Jolie Pearl, which is in downtown Baton Rouge. It's a, an oyster bar that specializes in uh, char-grilled oysters. And, and they have a, okay. they, they, they revolve they, – they have kind of a – they change the menu up, but they have – they go anywhere from, from 12 to 14 different – types of char grilled oysters that it's Ooh. always it's, it's a place that not a lot of people know about but it, it, it's one of my favorites and my wife's favorites to I go love to. That. It's, it's very much an oyster bar it's not nothing fancy but it's it's damn good speaking uh, my language in, in new orleans and i grew up in new orleans and and in first place i always point people to is is um one of my cousins runs a place right on st charles avenue it's called lula restaurant distillery they distill their own uh vodka gin and rum straight out of sugar cane and they have a, a heck of a restaurant too i really recommend that oh okay. there's a lot of good you know it, I, I i'm a, i'm i like to cook and then my wife and i like to eat so so we go out yep. to eat a lot and, and we we always try to like and find like find uh new places and the other thing that's really coming up is also the the craft beer scene down here there's lots yeah. of uh, great breweries to stop at you've got parish in, in lafayette you've got tin roof Right here in Baton Rouge, uh, and in New Orleans, you've got NOLA, and uh, Urban South is really good. Urban South actually, I think, opening up. A, opening uh, in uh, Houston. Yeah, they're opening in Houston, and they yeah. they really kind of overnight have exploded, and they, and they do some really great stuff. Um, and then there's also Port Orleans, which is kind of an up-and-comer. Uh, the, uh, an ex-Saint player started that with some people, and, and cool. they, they do a really good job. And they actually have a really nice restaurant in their brewery as well. There's some fantastic recommendations, and I might even hit you up with uh, with an email for all the family that's coming in because I I, I uh, call in a lot of people and give you a list. I love it, man. That's that's maybe we'll put a Twitter poll up or something. Uh, see, let's let the let the crowdsource this, let the folks speak. <laughs> I love it. So, Billy, thank you so much for uh, entertaining us. So, if folks want to get more of uh, what you have to offer, where can they find you on the internet? You uh, in the Right now, we're we're kind of deep up into the the baseball side of things. You know, baseball is probably even more serious business than football in Baton Rouge, and mm-hmm. we got super regional coming up now with, with Florida State, so that ought to be a lot of fun. And uh, on Twitter, you can follow me at at at, uh, at atvs underscore chef Billy and Bad jokes, uh, wrestling, a uh, little bit of football, and and just trying to ha- have some fun and, and get through the day. Kyle and I, I think, knew that this was going to be a good fit for the podcast with the uh, Game of Thrones um, headlines, you guys, and jokes you were putting out there. So that's that's when we knew. So if you guys want, again, In the Valley Shook. Billy, thank you so much for uh, taking some time out to hang out with us today. Happy to do it. We'll keep in touch as as the season gets closer. With all the food and drink recommendations Billy gave us, it felt like the right time to move into the part of the show where we give some light to the programs that don't necessarily get as much shine as they should, and we will down the 40. So we're not quite at championship microbrew levels this week, but we're 
were pretty close. So the NCAA golf championship happened over the weekend, or I guess late last week, and Texas made it out of the individual stroke play championship. And NCAA golf does this weird thing where they basically just reset the scoreboard after the stroke play championship and do match play. And Texas matched up like we talked about with OU and OSU and decided that it was going to beat them both um, against OSU, Texas. Uh, Pearson Cootie put on a show to close it out. Cole Hammer decided that he wasn't afraid of the wolf. The only wolf Cole Hammer believes in is the wolf of DKR. Yeah, and in the, <laughs> that is a bad wolf. But I, there are a few people in the world I would want to see less in match play than Cole Hammer. I don't care if it's Tiger Woods. Cole Hammer's like 18 and 2 since the US amateur where he, you know, exploded onto the scene. Like I don't I don't care what type of golfer you think you are. I guess Cole Hammer brings the hammer. I will skip a Thor reference. Let's just let's just move on. Cole Hammer's real good at match play and the rest of the Texas team stepped up and were just phenomenal. He is worthy. Steven Chirovny, it really though is the story there. I uh, went to extra. We got some free golf. In the opening match, uh, one on 19 to close it out, which meant which set up an afternoon matchup with the Oklahoma Sooners. Uh, as Kyle mentioned, uh, Cole Hammer laid the smackdown one seven and five, seven and five, which I had to look up what that meant because I didn't, I, I thought I understood it, but to be that dominant mm. is just absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, that's that's woodshedding somebody. Uh, Chirovny won four and three, and then Parker Cootie, uh, the other Cootie brother, uh, won on 18 to clinch a berth in the finals. Uh, so we went to the next day, Stanford. And Stanford seems to have Texas's number at golf, unfortunately. You know, hats off to them. They just looked locked in. Uh, it's a Stanford team that looks like they weren't going to make a mistake, and Texas had a chance to win it. I mean, it, it, it could have been uh, – came right down to the wire. It could have been different, but uh, – yeah, Stanford was not going to make any mistakes. They were going to make Texas be perfect, and Texas was was just just shy of that. And uh, literally nothing to hang your uh, head about was uh, a fantastic, fantastic season and, and lost to a worthy champion. Love it. So Texas rowing for the uh, second time in school history advanced all of its boats to the NCAA championship. Uh, came below with a second place finish, uh, improving on last year's third place. That means in 2020, they will win a national championship. That, uh, that is literally the only logical explanation. And then after that, I, they, I, I don't know if that means they get DQ'd because they come zero. I don't, I don't know. They move up to the Olympics. Oh, okay. There we go. That, <laughs> that makes more sense. Uh, yeah, just getting better every year, man. Um, this actually was that it, with that second place finish, um, the best in school history. That's Texas's fourth top two finish on the season, which is, you know, nuts. There's not that many sports to go around, y'all. Um, but joining uh, men's golf and men's swimming and diving with second place finishes, um, and obviously men's tennis with the natty, women's swimming and diving just outside. I think they were third um so i mean it's uh <laughs> there's a lot of teams that are within striking distance of national championships and 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 i don't think as we've mentioned with those individual teams there's a lot of youth on those teams so i don't think that that window is necessarily closing anytime soon texas has 20 athletes getting ready to compete in the ncaa track and field championships this week in austin they kick off or start i guess would be it's on thursday um softball has two on the all-american team kyle these are these are your girls these are these i mean these and and then some this whole team are my girls but uh, i was so proud um for miranda ellish and, and janae jefferson who again we gave so much shine to both shaylen o'leary who was a freshman all-american was i believe honorable mention on at least one of the there was a few all-american teams that came out um we gave a lot of shine to the pitchers but janae jefferson just continued she was second team all-american last year um local girl continued to be unbelievable like i, I like i made a joke at one point you just kind of take for granted the three hits a game she has gotten since the day she stepped on the 40 acres so a well-deserved uh, all-american uh place for her uh as in her sophomore season so more to come so three from the national championship men's tennis team made the ICTA All-American team. Uh, Yuya Ito in singles, Harrison Scott in doubles, and Christian Sisgard in both singles 
and doubles. Speaking of making teams, volleyball has four on the USA Women's Junior National Team. Uh, Logan Eggleston and Sydney Peterson, incoming freshmen, Skyler Fields and Molly Phillips. So uh, some that are already on campus, some that will be on campus. And some big news out of the basketball arena. Uh, Shaka Smart hired former Michigan assistant Luke Yaklich as an associate head coach. Uh, basically replacing and maybe even uh, improving on the vacancy left by Darren Horn. Yeah, I mean, first of all, let's just talk about the buddy cop potential of of uh, Shaka and Yak. Um, you know, shock and yak, it just, it's right there. So it's going to be very good. Also shock smart doing something interesting. He's kind of embraced the offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator type role, um, in hiring, um, uh, already last year from Iowa state, uh, bringing in uh, a coach who, who kind of revamped the offense. I know last year, uh, we wanted a little bit more from that unit, but you start to saw some progression, especially dip down into the, uh, advanced statistics, but you know, the clear kind of area that we wanted to improve this season, um, was defense. And so you bring in, uh, coach Yak and he's, he's literally maybe the best defensive assistant in the country during his debut season in Ann Arbor, uh, Michigan, not only won 33 games in the big, 10 tournament and a, you know, appearance in the NCAA championship. Um, but his, the defensive efficiency was, was third um, in, in eighth nationally in uh, scoring defense, third in Ken Palm, I should say. Um, and, and that is a huge jump when you think about the fact, um, and, and they actually were even better last year. They were second in Ken Palm's uh, defensive efficiency rating and scoring defense. Um, but, that's a huge jump before he got there. Michigan in the years preceding was 69th, 92nd, 100th, 89th, and then 37th. So, I mean, you, you go from, from that, which, you know, is, is, is not elite to having top five, top 10 defenses. Uh, it definitely says this guy knows how to coach defense. So the one thing you should take from this is that Shaka smart was a defensive coach and had a defensive system in havoc. Obviously didn't bring that with him. So he's saying, you know what? There are people who can coach defense better than I can. Let's bring someone in. And he's prioritizing that. And I think that's great. As long as it improves over whatever the heck this last season was, I'm great <laughs> with it. Like that's, that's all I need. Just, just don't be awful. Don't, don't be terrible. And I'm, I'm totally fine with it. And on that high note, Brings us to the part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions in all of college athletics, Big Bertha, and we bang the drum brought to you by Joe Ruiz. So, Kyle, what are you banging the drum on this week? Oh, this week I am banging the drumsticks uh, on the delicious, delicious choice uh, that the Texas uh, team chose to make with its with its young bucks basically with the incoming freshmen with the early enrollee freshmen and just taking all of these these young uh young hungry boys uh to the local pluckers uh, i mean this this wing ain't ain't for everybody um as they say uh in this team i believe isn't as well but the guys who were there I want to say this. I, I I think it's um it's awesome. I've been to that Pluckers many times, Gerald. I know you and I have been to that Pluckers before. It was the nice version of that when it was still yeah. OG original um kind of rat hole uh Pluckers, and I mean that in the most endearing way. I adored that place. Um, but you know it, it's important to remember that these are kids, and and like being good at football is one thing, but you also have camaraderie. I mean, when most of us go to go to you know. UT we went to UT we went to some orientation we got kind of a dorm roommate who might be a friend might introduce us to other people from their high school doubled our network you know we might go to learn new organizations and join new things and it's like that part where you get ingrained in the university and you make your friends and you feel comfortable I mean these are still 18 year old kids going off to a, a huge change life experience where they're going to college and I think it's awesome that that Tom Herman and the football team you don't necessarily see other schools do this you don't see everyone just come in and take that um well-being take that kind of um family aspect and drill it in in this way and just kind of make sure these guys get to know each other early and often um I mean it was also they got their dorm assignments they got fitted for their football equipment so this just is a really really cool um week for these guys some really cool stuff going on uh where they really feel like Texas football players for the first time and I'm hoping especially for some of those guys who are going to be asked to contribute right away that this just you know elevates that game I know 
eating chicken wings may not seem, and, and those delicious, delicious fried pickles may not seem like the way to elevate uh, your game. And, and as my trainer would tell me, that doesn't work when you're my age. Um, but for these 18-year-old kids, I think they will digest it, metabolize it, and be perfectly fine uh, when we roll around to kick off the season. But uh, just just awesome. I really, really like warm my heart to see it hook them. Well, and, it, and it speaks to like the family culture and the family environment that Tom Herman's try to create, right? Like the fact that, part of getting them acclimated was like, Hey, there's this restaurant in West campus that students like now stay away Mm. from the bar area, but everything else is great. Try the wings, try the, the, the sauced tenders, which is always a oft overlooked entree at Pluckers. Try it out. The tenders dipped in any of their delicious wing sauces. Mm -hmm. Just, just incredible. But to the point, like the fact that they're getting these kids, to create a community, to create a sense of family uh, is of the utmost importance. This is day one of the family. This is, you know, there's going to be a lot of days from here to now. And just like any family, there's going to be ups, there's going to be downs, there's going to be fights, there's going to be days you're not happy with someone else. But this is day one of of, of family. And it, you know, hopefully has four years to go uh, and then a lifetime after that. I love it. So I'm banging the drum this week on a 289 GPA. So on social media, the Texas football program announced that the team had achieved the highest semester GPA in team history of a 289. And people were throwing shade. And I want to just throw out there that I did not graduate with a 289 GPA. There are a lot of people that did not graduate with a 289 GPA, and that 289 GPA is an average of every single athlete on the team, meaning that freshman that doesn't actually know how to study because they never had to study is included in that, where that's why I ended up with such a low GPA to finish, right? Because I didn't know how to study when I got to college. So the fact that the entire team is averaging a mid-range B, I think is a positive because college athletics is a a 40-hour-a-week job. And so the fact that you've got these guys that are basically working 40 hours a week on top of their normal class load, on top of required study hall, on top of all the other normal college things that they wish they could do, that they still manage to keep a level of academic excellence is just another feather in the cap of what this program is trying to create culturally. And if you're dragging these guys for a 289 GPA, why like what's the point in that like why what what satisfaction does that bring you other than a sense of self-satisfaction that's probably unearned it's a weird one man i've never i've never mocked a single person for going to university in any capacity and putting in work and studying and leaving that university with a degree d's are for degrees i don't care what your gpa was if you you know and, and, and i as a person who's a first generation college student can absolutely speak to that i mean you don't some people have been prepped and, and went to high schools that prepared him. You and I went to a fine high school, but I think we were never especially challenged to get to college. And then all of a sudden it's like, whoa, uh, some of this stuff is tough. Uh, I really have to study an extra, you know, 30 hours a week to remember um, some, you know, hierarchy of, of cellular. I don't, I'm not even going to try. Uh, that was a journalism major. Um, but you know what I mean? It's, it's uh, the idea that you would mock someone for anything for, for getting an education uh, in any capacity is just, it's a, it's a really disgusting and, and, and poor look. Uh, I hope everyone who's, who had any, any, any witty things to say to that feels, feels very, very good about themselves and feels very smart and self-important because that's clearly the only thing that they feel like they're going to get from it. And they, they need that honestly to, to do that about some 18 to 20 year old kids. Again, I, I just don't get it. Um, we'll just, we'll just leave it at that, but that's all we've got for you this week. Kyle, where can the good folks find you on the internet? Oh, you can find me on Twitter at Kyle Carpenter. You can, uh, you can follow me on Instagram at Kyle Ryan Carpenter as well. You can follow me on Twitter. I am at GH Goodrich. Follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Longhorn Pod. You can choose an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. And until next time, hook them. Hook them. Yeah, get the three-piece tenders uh, hot. Don't go crazy, just hot. <laughs>